Hello, my name is Garrett Franks, host of The Crimson Standard, a podcast where we examine the past, present, and future of Alabama athletics. On this episode, we talked to former Alabama great Javier Arenas. We all have athletes that we view as heroes growing up. Some choose a player based on position, play style, or they're from your hometown. Mine was based on height. Growing up as a small kid in Birmingham, Alabama, there wasn't a pro team to watch. There was only Alabama football. Upon watching the Crimson Tide, there was a player who caught my attention from the very beginning, that being Javier Arenas. Arenas was a 5'9 cornerback and punt returner from the Tide from 2006 to 2009. He was always known as a spark in the bottle who could dazzle defenders and confuse opposing quarterbacks, but he was much more than that. Arenas was born in Tampa, Florida on October 28, 1987. You know, it sounds cliche, but uh, right, you know, the, the bad area of town, mm-hmm. um, like right near downtown, I was about eight. And then we moved to South Tampa, which is, you know, probably from a lot of outsider perspective, it's, you know, South Tampa is blossoming, you know, one of the largest areas in the country in terms of the rate that people are moving down here at. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's still, it had, when I was growing up here, it wasn't like that. Though he didn't have much, he and his family moved to a little bit better part of Tampa, that being South Tampa when he was eight years old. At that moment, that's when he started picking up a football and realized what he possibly could become. I picked up a football when I moved to South Tampa. Um, played for uh, the, the Little League team down here, which is where I met a lot of friends that I still have to this day. Uh, but, I mean, it's why it's why I developed, you know, my hunger for football in a sense that I didn't have much outside of football, you know, you know, couldn't sleep the night before little league games, wake up at 4 a.m. on Fridays before going to school to watch inside the NFL. Once Arenas got to high school, that being Robinson High School, he and his brother quickly started to show out. Once he started showing out, the offer started coming. I could play corner, that's for sure. And then my brother graduated and I moved to receiver and returned kicks and it just, it was easy. Like, oh, everything else was just easy, uh, even against good teams like Jesuit High School down here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I scored five touchdowns. It was just easy. So at that point in my head, I thought, you know, I could play, you know, college football. Um, but it was aided, that thought was aided by fam, not well, FAMU, Bethune-Cookman, Florida Atlantic, Florida International coming in and showing interest in me. Um, but that thought was solidified when Dave Unger, the special teams coach Bama, came down and, and watched me play. And then at that point, I'm like, all right, I guess I can't play. I can play big time. Arenas' recruitment wasn't your stereotypical visits in the summer, commits in August, and plays a season committed to his team. Being such a late bloomer in the high school scene, he didn't really have the privilege or opportunity to kind of drag it out, visit throughout the summer. His recruitment really started in October after he started shining at Robinson High School. At one point, Arenas was committed to two separate teams who are rivals, that being FAU and FIU. And then the Crimson Tide got involved. And once the Crimson Tide got involved, it was all history. Atlantic was the first school that became interested. I them gained a little interest in me and they flew me down there. First time being on the flight and um, it was amazing. It was amazing, but I, I committed. Uh, came back home, I guess it got gained a little steam um, when I visited there. And Florida International flew me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they flew me down as well a couple of weekends later and showed me the works. It wasn't as, as glamorous as FAU, but 
it was a it was an opportunity. So I committed there too, and came back, and then that's kind of when Bama came in. All this happened within a month, um, and I, I signed with Bama. Uh, well, I committed to Bama a week before signing day, and mm-hmm. you know the, the rest is history. So it was short lived. I, I came up and visited Bama when I after I committed. Um, didn't go out. Didn't need to go out. Didn't need to see it. Wasn't there for anything else but to play football. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you know, I think that that's telling of the type of player that I was. Football was all that mattered. It didn't take long for Arenas to impress then head coach Mike Shula. He impressed him so much that he was starting day one as a true freshman. He was starting, but it wasn't necessarily the position he wanted to be. Coming in as a true DB, he wanted to be on the defense, he wanted to be reading quarterbacks' eyes, he wanted to be doing all that. But instead, he was put at special teams, and that's where Arenas truly shined. The 2006 season was very kind to Arenas. He had 31 returns, 286 yards, averaging about 9 yards each return with two touchdowns, and one of those touchdowns coming in a big game against LSU. And I had one job, and I was to catch the ball, catch the ball, because Dave Unker was such a good coach, old school coach. You get in your butt if you, you know, didn't do it. And I went out there, to, you know, like for example, we, my freshman year, I played in Florida. That was the first time that I started, and people from Tampa came up to watch, and they probably was thinking in their head, "Man, this guy, look at this opportunity that this guy has." And I was thinking, "Man, just catch the ball." Though Arenas personally had a really successful freshman year, the 2006 season was not a kind one to the Crimson Tide. They went six and seven, and of course, losing to their rivals in the Iron Bowl, Auburn. Though head coach Mike Shula had helped the program through a really rough time with NCA issues, it was time for a change. That change came in form of head coach Nick Saban. The former LSU head coach was looking for a new challenges. He had just wrapped up his second season at the Miami Dolphins, where he just didn't like the NFL. He wasn't able to sign the players he wanted. The players were getting paid more than him. He felt as if he had to play players due to salary cap issues. It just wasn't a fit for him. He decided to come back to college, and after a long head coaching search by then-AD Mal Moore, Nick Saban was chosen. He came on a plane in 2007 and changed the state forever. When Saban took over, there were a lot of changes that needed to be made. Obviously, the personnel was enough to snuff. But also, it was a locker room issue. They just didn't have the mentality that you would associate with an Alabama team of now. In my conversation with Arenas, he made it sound as if some players had buyer's remorse. Remorse of even coming to Alabama because it was just that brutal of a change from Shula to Saban. What do we get ourselves into? Um... But um, it was also too just don't mess up, don't mm-hmm. mess up. And I think like don't mess up, don't be late for class. I gotta finish these one tens. I gotta I gotta reroute this receiver and um, you know uh, stop the ball in the flats or be underneath the ball on the seventh uh, cut. Uh, he forced us to be in the moment every step of the way. During this time of transition and upheaval, there's a song from the 60s that it made me think of. The Times They Are Changing by Bob Dylan. It was a song, you know, in the context of that time in 1964, civil rights was happening. So much was changing with the Vietnam War. Just a lot was going on in America. Similar to Alabama at that time, and to also in 2007, a lot was changing. And the Times at Alabama, and specifically in the Malmore Center, the Times were changing. Oh, sure, the guys be a little uh, lackadaisical during the offseason because they know the season was so far away. Well, in the offseason with Coach Saban, we got XXX to get done this week. We, I, we better get it done. You know, so I think 
that with, with Saban that first year, it was like, again, we were always in a moment because if you weren't in a moment, you weren't going to get accomplished what you needed to get accomplished that day or that week or that quarter of the off season, And you, was, you might not be on the team anymore. Though the 2007 season was very similar to the 2006 season, that being was very underwhelming, but the 2006 season, they didn't win their bowl game. 2007, they won their bowl game in the Independence Bowl once again. This time, they beat Colorado. Once again, Arenas had a great season in 2007, scoring one touchdown from punt return with over 300 yards, and he was starting to get some reps at DB. He started 12 games, getting 20 tackles, and getting two tackles for loss. But it was really that 2008 season where everything came together. Alabama went 12-0 for the first time since 1992, and Alabama made it the SEC championship game since the first time since the early 2000s. It was a big deal, and obviously, the team was really excited. The next two games didn't go as planned. They lost to Florida in an ugly game, and then they played the Utah Utes. Alabama ended up playing against a really talented Mountain West team that utterly obliterated them. It wasn't even that close to the game. The scoreline, I believe, was 31-17, to but in actuality, if you watch the game, it wasn't very close. But it did lead to a highlight reel play that, for me as a seven-year-old kid, was incredible. Um, it was awesome. Um... It was that touchdown came off sheer mentality um, and not wanting to be denied. I, I don't know what point it was in my career, but the thought popped in my head um, after a punt return. And it was like one of those punt returns where I, I barely got tackled or tripped or fell or lost my balance. Mm-hmm. But I thought, I, I thought in my head, I was like, like they're not really trying to tackle me. Like, yeah, they wrapping up, they flying down here, but they not really trying to tackle me. Like, I could I could stay up a lot more often than I am, and what you saw there in 2008 in the Sugar Bowl was me fully embodying that thought. Arenas had just finished his third season at the University of Alabama. That means he could have declared for the NFL draft, something he wasn't even thinking of. But after the game, Coach Saban pulled him aside to talk to him. Yeah, well, that conversation had been had in 2008 in the Sugar Bowl um, after the game in the Saints locker room. Uh, Coach Saban called me in. And again, I was a junior in 2008. And he said, and I'm, this is a kid, just, I told you, my mentality, I was in the moment. What's next? How do I maximize what I'm doing now? Uh, and after the game, he called me and he said, you know, I think you should uh, stay for another year. Um, and it threw me off. I'm like, I'm, yeah, what else would I do? You know, he's like, I don't think you should enter the draft. And I'm like, I, that, that never crossed my mind. Was Throughout my entire conversation with Javier, there was one thing that really stood out to me. He kept saying this phrase that was uttered throughout the entire locker room, we will not be denied. He kept saying it throughout his, for when it, whether it was high school to his NFL career to beyond, he, he kept talking about it. And so when it came to that 2009 season, I asked him, I was like, you know, what was the difference with that team? What moment did y'all kind of realize, hey, this team is special, this team can run the table, go 14-0, and eventually win a national championship against Texas? He brought he brought up a game that, personally for me, I hold very near and dear to my heart. That was the 2009 Rocky Block game against Tennessee, where Alabama won 12-10. to They ended up beating a Lane Kiffin coached Tennessee team on a last-second field goal. The reason why I hold some personal connection to the game, my dad was actually on the sideline of the game and was able to be one of the first people to hug Mount Cody after Terrence Cody blocked that kick to win the game. He was on the sideline doing audio work for the team. 
but it was kind of shocking to hear that late in the season like okay yeah this team can do something like that you usually would think you would hear it at the very beginning of the season like maybe week two or three but no that was week that was week seven um after the tennessee game after we blocked that kid because that we blocked that kid we again the phrase for that year was won't be denied and you gotta imagine being out there on defense being down by i think it was two points them being what they were as an offense on the field in the fourth quarter all right and us being on defense looking behind us seeing how uh attainable that field goal was for that tennessee kicker and one would just pack it up right and say oh, they, they're gonna make this they got this well no we we saw it as an opportunity to still win the game and uh, you know uh, again, the, the, I'm, I'm explaining that the Tennessee after the Tennessee game is when we realized we can win it. But more specifically, it was before that kick in the huddle when Rolando McLean, you know, got us, he, he gathered us and said, "If we when we go back and we look at the tape, if one person not selling out, you know, excuse my French, but I'm gonna whoop your ass." <laughs> yeah. And I, I always tell people when you see that that painting uh, of all of us diving. When diving necessarily blocked the kick, we trying to avoid eyes whooping um, from Rolando. But my point is, we that kick would, would have been blocked by two or three guys had Cody not gotten to it. So, at, no matter how dire the situation was, we realized that we could still go take it. You know what I mean? We still had the power to go take it in any phase of the game. Um, so after that Tennessee game is when I think I we realized, you know, that we can we can go win the title. And they did win that title. Alabama defeated Texas 37-21 to in the 2009 Rose Bowl to win the national championship, to win their first national championship since 1992, bringing home number 13. With all of his eligibility exhausted, it was time for him to go to the NFL draft. Javier Arenas was selected in the over 50th overall in the second round to the in the NFL draft to the Kansas City Chiefs. Throughout his career, he kind of was an NFL journeyman. Spent about six years in the league, went to about five different teams, spending most of his time in either Atlanta or Kansas City. And it was kind of heartbreaking growing up idolizing the guy and hearing how he kind of talked about how his career turned out. Objectively, from our point of view, we view five years in the NFL pretty good, you know, that you can get pensioned, you know, you get to play in the NFL. And as you hear later, he had some cool stories throughout the NFL. He um, had two interceptions, played on Monday Night Football. I mean, kind of the dream that every kid in America grows up feeling, but he looked back of it, back at it with a little bit of regret. I think my career, I won't use the word failure, but it wasn't a good career at all. I had the opportunity to play there. But I'm at the point in my life now, and you know, how I dealt with that when I fin- first finished playing in the NFL, I didn't think about it. I didn't think about, you know, how my NFL career went. Um, but now at this point, when I think back about it, um, I'm I'm fully mature and I understand that, you know, God takes us through things for a reason, anything. You know what I mean? Whatever happens, you can always gain from it. Um, one way is it ain't much... Um, that will, can stop you in terms of if you do something and you don't do it the right way or you don't have much success doing it, life goes on. I, I'm not going to carry it into my next venture. Uh, to, so it, it, it helped me. It, you know, that experience being what it was, it helped me. It made me stronger. It helped me deal with adversity. Um, so, yeah, but I, I, I didn't think I had a, a great career. I made it there, though. I played there. And I made some plays up there, too. Um, but 
uh, it, I learned a lot from it, and I'm thankful for that. I wouldn't call it a failure, but I wouldn't call it a good career. That is what Javier Arena said about his you know, six-year NFL career, and that's just its kind of heartbreaking. You know, someone who grew up admiring the guy, grew up modeling his own game after him, grew up wearing his number for middle school and peewee and then eventually through JV, that broke my heart, you know, honestly. Like, it was, you know, when, when you do stuff like this and, you know, you do journalism, you try to detach any type of emotional investment, any type of um, any type of fanhood at all. But for, for Javier specifically, it was hard just because of how much nostalgia and attachment I have to what he gave me. You know, I, I wouldn't be the football fan. I wouldn't be the football writer. I wouldn't be the football, t- you know, I guess talking head, if you want to call it that, that I would be today without Javier Arenas. Because without Javier Arenas, I don't get into college football. And to hear him say that about his career was was heartbreaking. It made me sad. But I think that also sets Javier apart from many people. It sets him apart for me, definitely. Because if I had a five-year NFL career, I'd be like, heck yeah, you know, five-year NFL career. I'd be talking about it. If I had any bling from it, I'd be showing it off. But that's not how Javier works. You know, Javier would, would only settle for probably being the greatest of all time. That's how he wants to be remembered, a great NFL player. And, you know, you look at his stats, you can't really say he was a great NFL player, but you can definitely say he was a good, solid, reliable NFL player, and that's not good enough for him. And I, I think that differentiates him from many other people in society today, or just not just society, but even just college football or NFL, is that what differentiates guys from being just a good athlete to being a professional football player is that competitive drive. And the fact that he has that, it kind of sometimes feels like you're listening to Saban talk through him. You can see that Alabama swagger, that Alabama confidence, that Alabama standard he sets. And I, dare I say the crimson standard, just you know, plucking us a little bit. Dare I say the crimson standard that he sets within himself, it's impressive. It's not, something, not only something I admire and want to see in myself when it comes to my own work, but I think it's just applicable to all folks today that you know we should have that drive. We should have that push to want to be the best at what we do. And to see that is um, through Javier is is something that's really interesting. Of course, I had to ask, you know, what was like his favorite moment in the NFL? And one, the answer he gave me, the, he kind of gave me two answers. But the an- two answers he gave me did not disappoint. It was something that I th- you just have to listen to. Uh, when we played Peyton Manning, and he's playing with the Broncos. You know, he came up to me after the game, and um, he said, "Arenas, he came and found me. He was like, you 'You're a hell of a player.' Because I had." had a good game um guys like steve smith after the game showing me respect uh, you know i don't think my uh stats uh reflect that obviously but that those types of things um are, are, are what stand out and are were the bright spots uh for me i just I, it, it was tough for me to do that on a consistent basis you know what i mean like like some of the dominant players in the nfl now um but and then relationships that I gained too, I think back on those as well. And that first Monday night football game, um, yeah, you know, I did awesome on defense. And I, I mean, I dropped the interception. Um, and on special teams, like every time I touched the ball, I got at least thirty or forty yards. Um, so that that moment right there, uh, for the first Monday night game, or let's say uh, against Oakland and Oakland. I returned a punt for a touchdown, and it got called back. Uh, just running and breaking loose and being in the open in the black hole, you know, being flicked off by Raider fans <laughs> as I approached the end zone. That 
but again, it didn't count. But I still, it didn't um, take away that feeling that I had in the moment. I think that um, that moment, honestly. Another note that I kind of picked up on throughout our entire interview was that Javier is a deep, deep, strong Christian. He's something that is very important to him. He talks about his faith a lot. You heard it throughout his interviews that he mentioned his faith a lot. So I asked him, I was like, you know, where does that faith come from? You know, where, you know, did that help you throughout your career? And it was really interesting that he talked about basically that, you know, his determination was through that. You know, he didn't, he went out there kind of feeling like he was playing with house money because he was very blessed or very, you know, had strong faith in God. And that, that was something that personally for me, I found very, um, very appealing, very, um, respectable that, you know, he has that kind of that faith grounding that I think is just very personal and very raw and something that you can only really get when you talk to these guys one-on-one. Um, it's just resilience, but going back to the faith, that's what makes me resilient. Just knowing that, you know, God has a plan for me that's already written out. So I don't care how catastrophic some may be. Like, to, like honestly, man, I thought my NFL career was just bad to me. It was catastrophic. That that you see guys out here, all fo- former football players, not dealing with that real well after they play. Heck, you see successful ones not dealing with it after they play. Um, but I'm I'm happy. Mentioning how some athletes who maybe had successful college careers or great even high school careers and just don't make it to the next level, how they kind of flame out in real life. They may get into things they shouldn't. You know, they get into drinking, drugs. Um, you know, just depression because, you know, what they did was so grand and they had this huge expectation growing up and they didn't meet it. And him talking about that was just so raw and so interesting that, and honestly, just as a person who liked, likes the guy, you know, made me happy to see that he was happy. He says, you know, he ended up with, I'm happy, you know, and that, that brought me some solitude and very, it just made me happy to hear that he's doing well and he's happy and he feels like he handled what in his opinion was a disappointing career. He handled that well and is using that to kind of pay it forward to others. I, I train defensive backs now. I train pro guys. I train college guys. And all of that stuff that I learned from or that I gained or, you know, had to learn from in the NFL, I applied to them to help them either avoid it or give them a leg up. But again, it's going back to me wanting to be a servant and me understanding that this is exactly what I should be doing at this very moment um, because of what I went through. And it's just how the the chips uh, fall. Unless you're living under a rock, we all know that college football has changed so much over the past few years. We have college football playoffs. We have playoff expansion coming. We have conference realignment, not only in 2012, but now upcoming with the Big Ten, SEC, American, et cetera, et cetera. We have Transfer Portal, NIL. And I asked Javier, you know, it's such an it's such a fun discussion of which athletes back in the day would have made a lot of money from NIL. You know, it's easy to say, oh, the Tim Tebow's, the Johnny Menzel's, um, Lamar Jackson, you know, all these guys, Reggie Bush. But I asked Javier, I was like, you know, how would you have taken advantage of that? Would you have taken advantage of that? And his, his answer was really surprising me, especially because that DB culture is very um, flashy, very exciting, very in your face. But once again, it just sets him apart from others because that wasn't his priority. I, honestly, I would have... Uh... I would have not um, took advantage of it um, from a naive uh, way, just because I really love football and I'm I'm there for football. Like, say for an example, if I was a, 
a big time recruit and uh, USC, it came down to USC or Bama and USC said they'll give me half a million dollars uh, in LI money and Bama just said that, look man, you can come here. I would go to Bama just because all I could think of from a football perspective is the tradition um, playing in Bryant-Denny Stadium, how it is being on campus. Um, and I, I commit, go, and people will be calling me an idiot, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Why, why didn't you take the half a million dollars? And I would probably ask her for and think, oh, dang, why didn't I take that money? But it, it, it would never, it's not about money is my point. So I, I think I would be fine. Um, you know, I think I would thrive. Also think um, I would set a trend to, you know, to stick to, make keep it about football. The money will come. You know what I mean? Um, I, I don't think I would have been motivated. I wasn't motivated by money in the NFL at all. Um, so that, that I think that's how I would have uh, thrived in that this era. Once again, another thing we were, I kind of mentioned earlier with setting Javier apart was the whole, oh, I wouldn't have. If I was offered USC $500,000 in Alabama, you know, offer me nothing, I would still go to Alabama because of the tradition. And I asked him, you know, do kids still think this way? And, you know, he, he'll respond here in a second. But, you know, I, I think you're seeing the shifts of a kid who went to school, went to high school, at least in 2005 from a kid who went to high school in 2023. Obviously, generations changed. Priorities change. I mean, you, you could see the same thing in the 70s and the 90s. Just th- things change, and as they should, you know, as life progresses, you know, as technology changes, as opportunities arise, the internet obviously was not the same in 2006 and 2005 as it is in 2023. But it's really interesting to even say he doesn't think he would take advantage of it because he wouldn't really... He was just that focused into football, and it's kind of refreshing to hear that, but also... You know, as someone, he trains high school and college players. You hear him tell a story here in a second about a kid he trains. It's really interesting to see how that's changed, see how kids' mindsets are a little bit more about brand awareness, a little bit more about treating themselves not only as football players, but as brands. You know, once again, I say that as someone who's 22 years old in 2023 and who you know, it's all about that. I think that's so interesting and such a cool way to generate revenue, but someone who's 55, who's grown up in college football, looking and being a certain way that scares them. And that's understandable. You know, imagine, imagine loving something for so long for like 50 plus years. And then it seems like within a year or two, everything's changed. It's kind of flipped on its head. It would upset you, it would upset me, it would upset a lot of people. And so I try to have sympathy for those people who maybe are against NIL or against the transfer portal or against any of this. But also we have to remember a lot of times, you know, Javier's case was kind of similar. He's their family's way out. He's their family's way out of a tough situation. And obviously Javier grew up in a little bit better environment than some, but you know, still, you know, him doing what he did, getting a call, using football as a vehicle to get a college education, playing the NFL for five years, to get pensioned, you know, to eventually become a trainer where he's training NFL and college guys. He's the true winner out of this all because he's changed his family for forever. But here's what he had to kind of say, though, about how this generation upcoming generation that we currently have with high schoolers is very different from his. One of the kids that I train is a top cornerback in the country. And he, uh, you know, I said, hey, man, I was speaking on behalf of Bama. I was like, uh, so what would, you know, Bama have to do to get you? And his priority list 
at the top of it was NLI money. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, and then when you turn, every time they turn, you want a, a top top recruit. Ask them to listen to his playlist and listen to what is being talked about on his music and his music. Yeah. Flashy jewelry, cars. Um, so it's what they're all about. And some of them subconsciously. Uh, and some of them just want to, you know, be flashy and stuff like that. But every time you turn around, everything you do is it's about money. Um, and so I can I blame them? No. But um, it really tests your character and yeah, to me, you can identify the real good recruits easier now based off of their, uh, um, what's important to them. Not only was Javier Arena set apart physically coming in at five foot nine as a cornerback, but he was also set apart mentally. And I think, and I hope I did a good job of sharing his story and sharing that message through this, that he was much more than just a small guy in a football field who could run fast. He was a smart guy. He was a determined guy. He was a man who had strong faith, who has strong faith and just really someone that I think we all can take something from. He's someone that his story, his determination, his hard work, his faith is something we all can strive to live towards. And it's, it was such a privilege talking to Javier once again because he was a personal hero of mine growing up. But to be able to tell his story was just an honor and something that I'll never forget and is definitely a bucket list thing. So thank you to Javier Arenas for including for allowing me to tell his story. Thank you for listening to The Crimson Standard, a podcast where we examine the past, present, and future of Alabama athletics. If you'd like to get in contact with me, please feel free to DM me on Twitter at Garrett underscore Franks, or you can email our email, sports at wvuafm.edu. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day. WVUAFM, Tuscaloosa.